I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel when I was in some of my darkest moments, forcing me to shed the version of myself that could not go where I was going. No matter how successful I was, I was numb. The version of myself that I have found, I would not have found her without the ugly invitation into the most intimate, deepest relationship with myself. And this concept means so many things to me beyond financially wealthy. Rich in community, rich in connection, rich in network, rich in health, rich in family, rich in opportunity. Welcome to the transition. Welcome to the new podcast. Welcome to the new concept. And welcome to my new life, rich in real life. What's up, guys? Welcome to Rich in Real Life. And this special episode is going to be one you're not going to want to forget because I think this might be, of all the things I repeat myself about, this might be the thing that I have mentioned the most often if you're close to me. As a matter of fact, if you're part of this community, the person I'm about to show you sitting next to me is someone that uh, you probably already work with. And it's okay. Your secret is best kept. I don't know. Um, But I've talked about her at length before. Some of you may know her personally. You've worked with her, but she's never been on the show and she's not being on social media, so I haven't gotten the chance to to share her and show her off the way I'm about to. But if you have heard anything from me, it is that all the work I did in 2021, the personal development, the the deep diving I did to say, okay, uh, your girl's got a little bit of trauma and it's dictating some of my decisions. And a lot of my life was lived through a lens of pain and I wanted to change that. And I did everything under the sun. I did Reiki. I did hypnosis. I did spiritual hypnosis. I did generic therapy. I did, I don't even know if that's the title, but I just did regular therapy. I did, um, journaling, meditation, all the things. And they all have their own profound, um, effect on me. And some of those tools I kept and some of them, um, I went through for a little bit, got some good things out of it and moved on. But one of the most profound things that was referred to me was a method, and I'm not the expert here, uh, called EMDR. And it was a unique way of me processing some of my old memories. And in that process, I learned some shit, y'all. I learned that my 10 years of therapy could not have prepared me for the things I uncovered during this time. And so to finally deep dive into this, because every time I say the words or the phrase EMDR, people are like, what the hell is that? So to finally talk to my therapist and many of yours and the person that administered this with me and helped me find, dig up and process and sift through some of the deepest shit that was dictating my life is the founder of therapeutic serendipity. I said it, thank God. Um, the, a licensed clinical social worker, an incredible human being. If you've ever had the opportunity to meet or work with her and just, um, a profound woman. And I'm really excited to have her on because her own journey is one of the reasons why she's so great at what she does. And so I'm so excited to deep dive into this and for you guys to learn more about this modality. And if it is for you, because it was definitely for your girl, um, it works. Trust me when I tell you it works. So I'm so excited to introduce and welcome to the show, the woman sitting next to me, Heather Hollop. Hello. (laughs) I love that you're here and you're willing to do this with me. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes. All right. So let's jump off the bridge. Ready? Okay. Okay, cool. So first things first, um, EMDR is not the only thing that you do, right? 
but you do no, some exactly. things. Yeah, I do some things. Yeah, you've worked with um, people going through all walks of life. Um, but EMDR is something you've done with me and quite a few people that I know. Um, what the hell is EMDR? <laughs> EMDR, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And basically, In English. Mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> it, it works on um, bilateral stimulation, stimulating both sides of your brain. Yep. So there's a process that you go through before you actually do the reprocessing that kind of helps you get down to a root memory and a negative belief that you have about yourself. Mm. Mm. And that's where it's really all about getting to the root. Yes. Now, question number one, getting down to the root of the negative memory. Um, How many times, and I just can say this from experience, how many times have people come to you with what they thought was the thing that they needed to clear up? And in a conversation, it was indeed not. It was something deeper than that. Well, it's always something deeper, (laughs) but they just usually want to work on the stuff that's present, the stuff that's, you know, I call it like crisis of the week. I call it like (laughs) (laughs) the crisis of the week. (laughs) I call it like chasing cows. Yes. So we chase cows sometimes, but and sometimes that is important stuff to get through. But um, in those downtimes, it's really like when you can get back to the root. That's the most important thing. Mm. Because I know for sure what you and I went through was not what I thought it was. It was deeper than that. Yes, (laughs) it usually is. It's usually prior to the age of nine and within the family of origin. Ooh, okay, wait. Before the age of nine within the family of origin, what does that mean? The family of origin part, what does that mean? Just within your family, your immediate family. And so what I hear you saying is what is stimulated after that or created after that are things that originated before nine. And then the, I'm making up this theory I'm about to read off, is that like your crisis of the week is usually something that is created over and over in a pattern from things that happen yes. before well, you were nine. Yes, it's basically that you establish a belief about yourself when something occurs. Mm-hmm. It could be like, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, or something of that nature. And then from there on, what happens is that becomes your truth. And because, you call these negative cognitions. Yes. And when that becomes your truth, it goes on throughout your life and you basically try to outrun it. So you constantly are doing things that's trying to outrun the feeling of, I'm not good enough or I'm unlovable. And then every time something bad happens, it kind of gets thrown right into that pile. Mm. And it could be completely unrelated. I mean, I don't want to say unrelated, but when, if you didn't have the negative cognition, it wouldn't necessarily affect you as much. But since, you know, that's there, that's what happens. And then I, I just got a pain right here because my mind's like, you a track star. I'm a track star. I'm a runner. <laughs> As soon as I feel it, I'm either running or I'm fighting, either or, mm-hmm. running or fighting, neither of which works from experience. They don't work, guys. Yes. <laughs> I felt a sharp pain right here and I was like, that's my brain. Like, bitch, that's you. <laughs> it's probably a body memory of some sort. <laughs> Did you ever do anything to your face? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, all right, I'm going to jump right into this because when you said negative cognitions, I I specifically remember you showing me the list because there's a list of things that are like yes. typically what we tell ourselves. Well, our new yes. Truth. And it's just, it's really just a point for like 
for you to kind of expand your thoughts as it doesn't necessarily have to be on that list, but I find most often that people use that and mm-hmm. like you can tell when it punches you in the gut. That's what I say. And I'm like, that's it. Like immediately once we get on to a memory, there's usually one of those that's very profound and kind of just feels icky. Yes. So I remember you showing me the list and I was like, you were like, which one feels personal to you? And I'm like, they half of them. Like, I remember I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. I'm uh, I don't matter. Like, I'm scared. I'm it was like scared of to survive or something or I'm scared of people I love or something like that. And I was like, it's it's half of them. Like, I don't know, Heather. <laughs> and then we got into um, deep diving into one of my most profound memories. And it got crystal clear on which one it was. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to share this with you guys only because to me, and there's actually, I've done uh, two reprocessings with you and many more to come. And I learned how often this cycle is validated through this one moment in time. And I only speak to the situation because I want you, to, you guys to see how powerful this is as well as how powerful our subconscious is. And I'd love mm-hmm. to hear you speak to that part too, is um, there's a memory in particular in my childhood that I have done over 10 years of therapy about. It comes up every time I'm in hypnosis. It comes up every time I'm, I've been in therapy. And even between the age of like 24 and 28, I did like in, an insane amount of therapy with a licensed therapist um, to get through this and thought, thought it was resolved, guys. <laughs> I had carried on with this. Um, my, it was just some, a situation that when I was five years old, my mother and my father um, got into a physical fight in front of in front of me while I sat on the couch, and my mother grabbed me at the end of the fight, picked me up. We ran outside. We hid in the neighbor's yard in a bush, and waited for my father to leave. Now um, they reconciled. Three days later, they got back together, and nothing ever happened between them physically again. However, um, I thought in four years of therapy that I let that go. My, my father and I have a good relationship. My father and my son have a great relationship. And I was like, there's nothing more to do there. I've forgiven my father. And I remember working with you and we talked through a couple sessions or maybe been one, maybe, maybe two. And you were like, I just want to go back to that memory because I think it has something to do with some things. And I, you know, if you know me, I represent all hard-headed individuals. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm like, Heather, I've done this one a million times. Like I have pretty much forgiven my father. And you were like, I know, just, just let's go there one more time. And I'm like, okay. So we get into this state, which by the way, I want to point out that you talked about bilateral beats. Is that what they call it? Bilateral stimulation. Stimulation. And we just had, uh, a money manifestation coach on the show. And she talked about being in your highest state to do manifestation around money is stimulated. You can use bilateral beats. Mm -hmm. So the power in this, I'll let Heather speak too, but we're, we're playing this music. I'm deep in this memory and in hypnosis and everything else I've ever learned. They always say like your subconscious is the most powerful when it comes to the deepest memories. And so there's a moment you stop me every couple minutes, three, five minutes to ask me where I'm at in the Mm -hmm. reprocessing. And you ask me one question. 
that I had never been asked as I'm reprocessing this because I have tr- I have reprocessed this in other forms. I've done it in hypnosis um, and and some other things. And you said, "What do you see right now?" And I could see where my father was. I could see where my mother was, as if I were watching a movie. I could see it vividly. Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Well, where are you?" And I said, "I'm on the couch." And you said, "What are you doing?" And that, just in that moment, it took the whole visual and turned it towards me. I had never looked or thought about what I was doing, ever. Mm -hmm. I thought I I could remember what I could see and how I felt. I did not think to turn inward to look at myself to see what I was doing. And the moment you said, what are you doing? I realized I was screaming. And I had never, in any of the therapy, realized, I mean, I'm sure I was, it was traumatic, but I did not acknowledge that I indeed was screaming. And you said, okay, the physical fight happened. Where did your parents go? Where did your father go? And when I closed my eyes and went back, I picked up a minute moment in this situation that I had never seen in all the therapy that I had done that I did not realize was the most important part. He walked past me. He walked past me to go down the hallway and you said, did you say anything? Did he say anything? Are you screaming? Did he console you? Did you ask him to console you? And I heard myself screaming his name. It's so crazy that I don't have any emotion tied to this right now. It's so (laughs) wild. I have zero emotion tied to this. I almost feel like I'm not even giving it enough emotional state, but I have zero emotion tied to this memory. There's other things I do, but not this one. So I said, um, daddy, daddy, stop. And what he, the, what I saw in this moment, when I repeated back to you, what was said, you said, how did that make you feel? And I bawled into tears because I've been asked so many times in therapy sessions and even with you, if that made me scared of my father. And I was always like, no, no. Like I hug him. I see him all the time. I've forgiven Mm -hmm. him. I'm not scared of him. And you even told me that later on in another session, you were like, you're not scared of your dad. No, I'm not. That moment was scary, but I'm not scared of him. I have forgiven that action of him. But when you said, how did that make you feel? And then you said, that was the moment that you decided that you don't matter. When you said the phrase, you don't matter, it was like my inside shattered. Like I felt it from my knees all the way up through my body. And then I just bawled. And I remember I was hyperventilating and I Mm -hmm. was like, deep breathing snot. I remember the pile of tissues that I had, like while we were doing this. Because I'm just like, I can't. (laughs) Because this particular phrase that I had never been able to pull out of I don't matter was 33 minus five, if I can do quick math, 28, 28 years. That was the thing that I have spent my last 28 years trying to do with men, with friendships, with school, with my career, has been trying to prove to individuals that I indeed do matter. Mm-hmm. That When you said that, I was like, that has been my entire life. That has been what I've been trying to do. That is the thing. Is no, no, no. Look at me. Listen to me. No, no, no. 
you're going to love me. I do matter. I matter. Yes. And then my ass goes and picks people (laughs) that validate that I indeed think I don't matter. So this in itself, and there's more, but this moment in itself was shattering. I remember the next day I slept like a dog. (laughs) I slept and couldn't get out of bed, but it wasn't like a depressed state. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was like someone lifted the heaviest elephant off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And so is there anything you can speak to around that of just like, is that what happens with all your clients? Or is that like how powerful our subconscious is? Is there a reason why in 10 years I had not seen that very specific moment in time? Or was I just not asked the right questions? Generally, when we go back with EMDR, um, with the bilateral stimulation, it's kind of, it kind of operates on the same mechanism as REM sleep. So, you know, when you dream, when you're in REM sleep, everything seems so vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's because you're in REM sleep and your eyes are moving back and forth. So you're stimulating both sides of your brain, mm-hmm. which is the same thing that we're doing when we have sound or eye movement. Um, I use sound primarily most often because when you use sound and they close their eyes, their eyes move as well. So you're mm-hmm. getting both. So you're getting this, you know, the stimulation from the sound, and then you're also getting the eye movement. Um, as far as yours, like, yeah, that, that becomes, but your brain doesn't, that becomes your truth. Like, I don't matter, even though you didn't necessarily realize that. Um, and then you only remember parts of the story a lot of the times that support your truth, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to remember other parts of the story. So sometimes people will remember bits and pieces of the story that were actually, that actually contradict, like somebody actually coming in and trying to soothe them or something like that. But after their brain has already kind of told them that, you know, after like the devastation or the occurs and mm-hmm. they develop a belief about themselves, it kind of stays frozen in time. Yes. So then your brain just kind of omits that stuff. It kind of just takes away the stuff that's, so a lot of the times I always call them like the brain giving you little gifts. Like it'll bring up something like, you know, a nicer part of, well, just part of that memory. Like people will leave out like the whole part where their mom came in and like sat next to them and, you know, rocked them or something of that nature. And they'll mm-hmm. be like, I didn't even remember that. Mm-hmm. Like, because your brain stays so focused on the trauma that it doesn't like in the truth. And that is the, the thought that we develop about ourselves in those moments is actually what is painful. It's not the memory because the memory only exists in your mind. Mm. So it's not, I get what you're, I hear what you're saying. So it's not the memory. It's the, it's the decision we make in that moment about whatever that falsified truth is mm-hmm. in that moment. And it could be, it could have to do with that. It could have to do with safety. It could be like, I'm not safe. I'm going to die. Um, all of those things. Like there's all different types of negative cognitions. That was so, it, that, that part right there was so profound because like over all this therapy, people would always say that to me. They would be like, well, how did you feel? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And they'd be like, well, did you feel unsafe? Did you feel like you were going to die? And I'm like, no, I've had a, no, like the man still lives with my mother. Like they have a <laughs> phenomenal relationship. Like I see him all the time. I'm, I never felt threatened for my life. Um, and so I could never really peace. I just knew it was this traumatic moment and memory in time and it, and it had an emotional state tied to it. Mm-hmm. But when you said you decided you don't matter, I was like, I would have never been able to put together the pieces of that something that happened to someone else in front of me 
And the result of me looking to be soothed in that moment or to get the situation to stop and it not being given to me, that that was the truth that I told myself that literally became the truth for 28 years. Mm -hmm. That is my repeated pattern. Your girl's always trying to prove to someone that right there. Yeah. You spend your whole life trying to outrun it, even though you don't even know it's there. What do you find, and generically, what do you find with most, I mean, I know you said we're outrunning it, but what do you find with most clients as they get to the point where it's like bursting at the seams? Like, is it in their behavior? Like, because I just feel like most people I know, they're dealing with all these things. And I'm like, that means there's something there that's bursting at the seams. All this shit is coming up for a reason. Mm -hmm. What? Where by the time they get in and there, we're usually we, we y'all, because it's we, mm-hmm. we are usually incorrect about the thing that we're bursting at the seams about because it's so deep we can't identify it. What place, not what state, but where, what are people usually lying to themselves about by the time they get to you? I don't necessarily think it's that they're lying to themselves about anything. It's just the fact that they've never really, you know, we, do such a great job of coping with things, especially you guys. <laughs> She's always like, you little master coper. Yes. <laughs> you like deep breathe. And I'm like, no, no, honey, we have to feel the emotion. <laughs> we got to feel it. We can't just breathe through it. Yes. Coined, coined the woman that's going to make you cry. <laughs> yes. Well, that's progress. Crying is progress. You don't necessarily have to cry. I've actually had clients that don't. Mm-hmm. There's definitely getting to that emotion and allowing yourself to feel it. Mm. Because like with you were talking before with your dad and like the woman that's sitting in front of me right now has a relationship with her dad. She's not afraid of her dad. Mm-mm. She knows she matters to her dad. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. It's that's, not. But that's the truth. But that little girl had a different truth based mm-hmm. on what she felt in that moment. So it's a matter of going back and taking, uh, looking at that video in your mind, the movie, and looking at it and understanding where she was. And the fact that no matter how fa- no matter how far you can't outrun it, it's always going to catch up to you. Oh my God! Speaking of catching up to you, I'm going to give this to you guys so that you do know that it catches up to you. So this will probably be the deepest episode I'll ever have on the show. Like I say that all the time, but this one, you got it all. Um, we found that out. Um, we reprocessed that memory at the end of last year um, because I was suffering. I knew I was suffering. I was, um, that was around the time that I had done the episode around success can't silence the noise. And I knew I was just in this place that felt like my life was so bipolar. Like I had had the most, everything that I had, I I was living a life that was beyond what I could conceptualize as far as my achievements. I had hustled my way to every freaking thing I ever wanted. Um, and I couldn't feel shit. I couldn't feel shit. I remember being on an airplane with my mother and my mom looking at me. I, I specifically remember the memory. We were, she was leaning on the seat in front of her, looking at me like this. And she was like, This is so crazy. We've never been on a plane together. And I was like, I know. And she was like, Thank you so much for this trip. Cause I took her to DC with me in November to win an award for podcaster of the year. Um, and she's thanking me. And I'm literally thinking in my mind, this should feel very special. And it feels like nothing. I feel nothing. 
And I just remember those couple months being like, you are exactly where you want to be and you can't feel shit. So something's wrong. Um, and we processed this at the end of last year. And three weeks later, <laughs> three weeks later, it didn't take long. Um, I had a massive uh, temper tantrum. And I'm going to call it a temper tantrum because my younger self was losing her shit. Um, <laughs> and I had an opportunity to um, encounter a situation with uh, the tr after the transition I had been through with separating from my former partner. And we had a in-person blow up. And by in-person blow up, I mean, I blew up. <laughs> I snapped, lost my shit. Anything that I had ever done to self-regulate, to be the bigger, bigger person, to make better decisions, that shit went out the window. Um, and that doesn't justify any of it. But reprocessing that with you recently was really profound for me because you know, I heard everything like, why did, you know, from everyone, like, why did you react like that? You did so good for so long. What happened? Um, I completely lost touch with myself that night. And there was, you know, t all types of involvement, um, things leading up to it, suppressing the, the existing emotion that I had around it. It was all the, the, the numbness and the pain and there was alcohol involved and there's just all these things. But when I reprocessed the reprocessed that memory with you, because it was painful and I was very ashamed of it extremely ashamed of my behavior. Um, man, this part, it was this part for me because you were walking with me through the whole night and you kept trying to figure out like, what is the part that you're so ashamed of? Like, what is the part that is like, got you? And it was wild because I had not gone through all the pieces where I was like, it just the night in general was like, I was like, girl, you're embarrassed. Like that was embarrassing. And we got to a part where I realized I didn't even know that that was what bothered me so much. And you said, um, walk in there as your highest self, as if this was a friend or someone that you knew or you, and imagine your highest self now. And so of course, who do I envision? I envision this version of me on stage with a mic, hair done, like feeling my best. And you're like, walk in there and coach her through this. Talk to her about how you see her as your highest self. And you said, and put a glass between you and your, or maybe, I don't know if I did that on my own. You did that I did on that on own. my own. Okay. You did that on your own. <laughs> you did that on my, I did that on my own. Okay. So in my mind, a glass drops in between me and my uh, former partner in the whole situation right before it blows up. And you tell me to walk in and kind of talk myself off this ledge. And I swear to God, and as I'm reprocessing this, I'm walking in and y'all, I'm walking in like... I, I can feel like I got a model walk. Like I picture myself walking in the door. I got these heels on. I'm like, I'm about to, I'm about to bring you off this chaotic ledge, even though the deed is done, but I'm about to bring you off this chaotic ledge. You about to get down and you about to calm your ass down. And I'm going to tell you who you are. And I walked in with so much confidence and there's this glass in between us. And instead I'm trying to talk to me, but in this memory, I can see myself with the clothes I had on. And instead, like a five-year-old child, I'm kicking the glass, I'm kicking it, I'm punching the glass, and I literally picture me on the other side of the glass, like flicking the glass, like I'm flicking the people off on the other side of the glass, and I'm like <laughs> punching the glass and kicking the glass, and she's like, are you talking to her? And I'm like, I can't, I'm losing my shit. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, 
me, the version of me that's there that night is losing my shit. I'm kicking the glass. I'm screaming. Like I was like screaming like profound, like profanities. Like I was flicking birds. I was kicking the glass. And I told you and you go, okay, just let her do that. <laughs> and, well, in the memory, everything was safe. There was a big piece of glass. In, in the memory, there was a piece of glass. Like it She was wasn't going like, to get hurt. <laughs> you didn't tell me to put the glass there. So. I know. That's what I'm saying. But your brain did. Your I brain wanted known. to make that divide. I must have known and the fighter in me was losing it. And I'm so I'm crying and I'm like, Heather, I don't know, but she's losing her shit. It's worse than what it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you I can't remember what you did, but you calmed me down. And then you said. OK, you said this is your younger self throwing a tantrum about the fact that what's being validated in front of your eyes, AKA you're so angry that this is just another tick. This is another situation that right before you is saying, indeed validating to you, you don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) This was just the perfect example of that. It was the perfect example of that. And again, I'm not justifying my piss poor behavior that night. Mm But to me, that said so much about why I was inconsolable. I was inconsolable that night. I could not, you could not get me off the cliff. I was prepared to hang myself from in based on my behavior. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess my, this is just to show the deep work that needs to be done. But I guess my question to you is, especially after we had reprocessed that, which to me just meant it was my first invitation into knowing. So it was like, now I know the thing that bothers me. And then it was, and then it was given to me to visualize. And I don't know that I could have kept myself from that reaction, knowing or not knowing. I don't know if I could have kept myself from that. So, so I guess my question to you is how do we, I guess knowing these things or the power of EMDR, how do we work through these things in a way that, um, because I really feel like you're only as healed as your next trigger. Um, That was, that triggered the very vicious thing that I've been telling myself for 28 years. So what, what does like unraveling that and fixing that and healing that look like? Because I'm just going to invite that into my life over and over mm-hmm. again until until I find it again or I, I can't live with it anymore. Well, it could be, there's could be, just because that was a very young memory, it could, there could be another memory mm-hmm. that's even more powerful than mm-hmm. the one that we reprocessed that could be the root or it could be other memories. Sometimes you'll have a negative cognition that will you know, be developed when you're young and then something more, something tragic happens and it just reaffirms it. So that becomes its own, like it takes on its own form almost Mm -hmm. like it becomes so massive that we sometimes actually have to reprocess that first so that we can get to the younger one Mm. because it's so, so there's likely other, and it could be a different negative cognition as well. I can imagine how many times I validated this in my life by choice. (laughs) with the partnerships that I chose and the things that I've done. Um, 
So even for someone like me, and I know there's far more traumatic situations, is can, is this, I don't know that this is a word, is this solvable? Is this healable? Is this removable? Is this, because let me tell you what I don't want. <laughs> you know what I don't want. I don't want to put myself in another situation again where I can give. And that's, it, in me telling you all this, it's really me trying to take radical responsibility for the fact that um, partner, no partner, doesn't matter who the individual was, I will go find that again. I will go find something or someone else that just puts me in the cyclical cycle of proving to myself that I indeed don't matter until I yank this out and once and for all work through it and reprocess it and completely is there a completion to this? Well, it's not that you're looking for someone that's going to prove that you don't matter. You're actually doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. You're looking for someone that's going to really show you how much you do matter. Where do I go wrong with that? Because <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking, because that's, you know, that's ideally that would be something we would want to find in ourselves. So you look for certain types of people. I'm not saying you in general, but mm-hmm. I'm just talking like no, say me. It's fine. That, <laughs> um, that type of it's almost like a victim mentality. You you're searching for something that you lack. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be safety. It could be you know any number of things. Um, in your situation, you're saying it's, I don't matter. Um, so you're going to find people that are going to really make you forget that, that they're, and they can like seek it out sometimes too. It's oh, like they can sniff like, it out. Yeah. They can sniff it out. And it's like you just walk around like, yep, just validate me. I think I don't. I'll fall in love. I think I don't matter. forever. <laughs> Hold on. How do I shake that shit off? <laughs> I need that off. <laughs> well, it's not, it's, because there's still, there's probably still some mm-hmm. parts of you that feel that way. So we've got to reprocess through those and get through and really totally just get rid of that belief. And then you'll know you matter. So you won't be seeking somebody. Then you'll find somebody, then somebody would come into your life that you wouldn't need that validation because that's something you already know. So then they'll will just, if they give validation, it will only be. Like reinforcing something that you already know. Like, thanks for noticing. I am pretty cool. I notice that I am able to affirm myself and trust myself more when my boundaries show up naturally. Does that make sense? Like when I'm, I'm like, oh, the old you would have definitely been okay with that. Or the old you would have definitely like welcomed that. But I can, Mm -hmm. I realize that I'm like, oh no, I'm good. Like, oh, no, I don't need that. Like, oh, no, I don't need to do that to please you. Like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And that's when I realize I'm like kind of building the building blocks on being 100% okay with me. But you and I talked about this, and I want to bring this part up for anyone listening. This might be helpful. You told me one time that, um, and I know I'm not unique because there's so many of us out here like this, that I, listen, your girl can... I'm an entertainer. I can sing, dance, and talk on stage and play the tune all day long. You were like, you know how to show up when it comes to showing up for other people. But mm-hmm. when it comes to relationships and love, um, I live in a victimization map or lived. I would like to say past tense, <laughs> working on it. Yes. Um, 
live in a, in a, in a state of victimization, which makes it where I can't even tell that I'm trying to validate myself Mm -hmm. in partnership. And I think for many of us women that are trying, because that ends up being somewhat of a trauma response as we become very successful because we're trying to validate to someone or something or somewhere in the world that we indeed matter. Somehow we end up becoming like wildly successful from it um, and very Mm -hmm. freaking lonely doing that. So (laughs) I'm just, I'm a therapist because I was trying to outrun being a disappointment. (laughs) My sister said, it'll be cool. (laughs) Thank God she knew me well. (laughs) So yeah, no, it definitely is. It's my gift and I love doing it. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that my path led this way. You know, it's kind of like, you know, that when I told you about like, it's, it's like, and you know, finding the answer to an algebra equation or being given the answer to an algebra equation even though you believe the answer is right, it doesn't necessarily, you know, unless you do the work, you can't support your answer. Mm. So it's a matter of like doing the work. And so often I think we just go through the motions of this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what, you know, so-and-so society, parents, you know, siblings, boyfriends, girlfriends, they all have an impact on the shoulds, Mm. what we should do. But we very rarely like turn into ourselves and say, what's you, what would Heather do? But, but then you can do it like kind of like you can go back and do it. I had to do that to myself. I had to go back and say like, does Heather want to be a therapist? Yes, she does. She really Mm. does. Because, and it wasn't that I was, you know, not liking it. I just, I hadn't really been able to embrace what being a therapist was until I was able to just make it my decision. I went back and did the work. Mm. It was like a day <laughs> because, because ultimately I really do want to be a therapist. So, yeah. it was, so the answer was, I knew the answer was right. Yeah. You know, but. That's so interesting. I've had that conversation with my project manager on end where she's like, I have, sometimes I have to take a step back and say, nothing has ever been my decision. I feel like I just always fall into these things because of what other people tell me or what I should do or what I shouldn't. And sometimes I can't tell if I'm leading my life or other people are leading my life. And then, you know, she said she had to decide, like she really, she's a really good wing woman. She's a really good, like right hand to anyone else. And that's Mm -hmm. how she always ends up in these situations. Mm -hmm. And she had to say, okay, I'm actually okay with that. I like bringing other stuff to life for other people instead of you know, mm-hmm. feeling like her life was led by other things. And we do have to go back and make that. We have to define success for ourselves. Mm-hmm. That will, just like we have to define success in relationships, what we think a successful relationship will look like for us. Success in business, success in life, period. What does that look like? And, re- and redefine it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So here's my question. And this is going to sound really weird. Um I remember people always talking about setting boundaries and me thinking, I got boundaries. I don't just do anything for anyone. And coming from a recovering people pleaser, that was not the case. And I didn't realize that I wasn't capable or was unable or unclear on how to set boundaries with people, um, men and women and friendships and parental Mm-hmm. I had to learn that too. Um, until I was able to begin doing the work because I didn't even notice 
what I was and was not doing. And so I guess, where do we, where do you think people go wrong? As I think boundaries become such like a hot topic right now, it's like a buzzword, like mm-hmm. you better set your boundaries. And sometimes I think it just gives people um, an open door to be an asshole. So I said it, sorry. Um, no, I'm just setting boundaries. No, you're being an asshole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you think we go wrong with boundaries or when do we get crystal clear on boundaries or does the work come before boundaries and then the because to me when I did the work the boundaries became crystal clear like crystal clear like I was like oh that's something that usually affects me that's something that triggers me so I'm not going to put myself in that environment so when I see myself getting close to that environment or a similar experience I get an opportunity to opt out I don't need to require someone to understand that Mm -hmm. but I get to make a better choice or set myself up for success so those things became crystal clear with me even with my parents and friends which has been a rodeo in itself um so where do you think we go wrong with boundaries well, if you think about, okay, say you with your negative cognition and of, I don't matter, mm-hmm. how would someone who has the belief about themselves of, I don't matter, how would their, their boundaries would be much different mm-hmm. just naturally than someone whose belief about themselves is I do matter because you're trying to, you're, you're accepting more mm-hmm. than you should. A lot of the times because you're trying to people please, you're trying to prove that you matter, you're trying to get every last bit of validation out of that person. Yes. So you don't, you know, saying no is really hard when you don't matter because you're really trying to get more out of it so that you can get that validation from them. Let's, let's go back to the work for a second. Let me just help you guys with something. As you said that I heard very loud and clear. Of all the validation that I've been seeking to indeed validate that I matter, mm-hmm. no one has ever been able to make me feel that way. They won't. No one. Not a, not a soul. Nobody. Um, and I am still working through that, but I am the most confident I feel like I've ever been in myself and my worth. And that brought me to realizing, which what we all ultimately realize is the only person that could validate me was me. Mm-hmm. I went in and left a seven-year relationship seeking validation and never getting it. And that's to say I got a lot of things, good and bad, and it never filled that empty cup with holes that had holes in it. Mm-hmm. So I was seeking something that no one could give me, if that makes sense. Yes. He must have given you a certain level of it or it wouldn't have lasted that long. Absolutely. So there were times where I felt like I indeed did matter because I was getting more than I had ever gotten Mm -hmm. financially, supportively, uh, spiritually, physical affection, all the things I was getting more than I thought I could ever, I had ever gotten. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I thought this must be the validation I need to fill the cup with holes Mm -hmm. because there were holes. Yes. Because I left the same way I entered, seeking. Well, you'll never outrun it. Yeah, exactly. You can never, when you're outrunning something, you're never going to be able to outrun it. No matter how, there's going to be things that are happen that are going to like, you know, you get a little farther ahead of it. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit further behind and you forget it's there sometimes because you're like, you're like doing this and you're doing that and you have these wonderful people in your life and you got lots of money and you're successful. I'm so So, healed. 
yeah, I'm so healed. But it's really just that you ran fast enough to get a little farther away from it. Uh. But then something will happen, whatever that is, and then it'll catch back up. Mm. And then you'll start having like the symptoms again, the behaviors, whatever that is for everybody's different, but you'll start having them. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have to just start running again. You have to find the next thing, the next job, the next this, whatever it is. So speaking of, um, because I've talked about stuff like this at length so much, people seem to feel, I want to be clear that I'm not a healer. (laughs) So I get the message a lot. The DM always sounds the same. I feel like I'm ready to do some work. I feel like there's something there. Who should I go to first? People are always like, you talk about a lot of things. What or who should I go to first? And so I knew I needed dramatic healing. Like I was like, give me all the things. I'm also a jump off the cliff and figure it out now type of girl. So, and I'll run from it. And then I go through periods of where I run from it. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I can, everything's on autopilot and it feels good. AKA I'm just far enough ahead so I can take my foot off the gas. Um, when do you think, when is that moment for people? If someone is kind of questioning whether or not EMDR, just therapy in general, or just something what are some like the sign or symptoms? I mean, I think you kind of just said it, but what are like the sign or symptoms that like you might, you avoid some shit that is going to chase you until you dig it up. And some people cope very well with that. It's just a matter of whether the behaviors are are something that you are really done, that you know, you've tried other things and that the behaviors are just something that you don't want to deal with anymore. I knew I had to do dramatic things when I didn't like who I was becoming. I could say that. I remember sitting in a chair in a hotel room with my best friend and I just looked up and it came out so clearly out of my mouth. I was like, I just don't like this version of me. Mm-hmm. I don't like who I'm becoming. I'm, I was like, my love and light is gone. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm short tempered. I'm triggered all the time. Um, Those were all just behaviors. Mm. Those are not, that's not who you are. Mm. How long do you think people let that be an excuse? Because now, now that you're saying that out loud, I hear it as like the reverse where people are like, oh, I'm just going through something. I've got a lot going on. Like, do you think people let allow that to be an excuse for a while and just don't do the work? They just, I've got a lot going on. Because we all know like angry triggered people in our lives. Yeah. It, it it really depends. It really depends on the person that when a person wants to get help and when they like, it's just, it just varies between so many people. Like I don't, I mean, I do primarily EMDR, but it's not just people that have significant symptoms. Sometimes it's like, okay, I just have this one little thing. I just know there's something holding me back mm. and I want to just make it to the next level. I want to get out of my own way Yeah, where in every other aspect of their life, they're doing fairly well. So it's just, it doesn't have to be, you know, some major trauma. People say that to me all the time. They're like, well, you know, I had a great childhood and this and that. And I'm like, well, sometimes it's not what happened. It could be what didn't happen. Yes. That can actually be traumatizing, you know, and things that we would never think of, like, you know, having a father or a mother that was in the military, Mm. like just them going away. That wouldn't seem like more than you would like. That yes. wouldn't that wouldn't seem like it would be because it's just very accepted and mm-hmm. but that can be very traumatic depending on when it is, you know? Yes. Oh my God. 
All right. So I'm going to ask the inevitable question because everyone, I've had so many people say this. When is it over? When are you healed with an ED? When is it done? When do you, because I've, I've been doing this work. I've been committed to this work for myself for a year and a half. And I've had friends, I've had people be like, hey, okay, that's enough. People are like, I've literally had people like, okay, enough with the brokenness, enough with the work. Like, when is it, is there such a thing as us like choosing to keep ourselves in that state? Or like, is there a completion? Like, what is that? What does that look like? Is that? basically, because when you first come in, there's symptoms. Like we yep. always focus on, we find a target. What is the target behavior? Yep. What do you want to change? Yep. Like what it could be like people pleasing, second guessing yourself, any number of things. That's what you're, that's what we target. And then we try to figure out, okay, so what, where's this coming from? Where's this coming from? Right. Yep. So then we track it back. And generally it's when you see a reduction in those symptoms yes. or even reduction or the fact that they're gone. Yes. I always, it's a new high. Let me be clear. (laughs) And I'm sure you have a name for it. It's a new high when I process something with you or hypnosis or anytime I've ever processed something. It's a high when you figure out something about yourself. You're like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 20 years because of this. I found this out. Now I get myself. I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But that the high is short-lived and it doesn't mean shit. So until like, I'm like, I always feel like the silent reward is when like, I'm like, oh, I would have normally handled that differently. Like, (laughs) or that was a different me. And it's such a profound change. Like the, we're changing memories. We're changing the way your brain perceives memory and the, the emotional information where it's stored and all of those things. So it's sometimes just so you're gonna get that. Yes. In the very beginning to where you're like, oh, this is different. I would have totally not done that before. But at the same time, you know, it's, you know, backing up from that, it just kind of moves forward and you just. Mm. Mm. It's I love what you're saying, because it's like it's just over time. It's Mm -hmm. over time. I see changed behavior over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you recognize it once in a while and you're like, yeah, I totally wouldn't have responded that way. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes normal. Mm. It just becomes like, well, of course I'm going to act that way. Like, of course I'm not going to tolerate that. Or of course I'm not going to do this, you know? Mm. Do you think it's appropriate or is it psychotic to have a you? And because to me, this could just be toxic me speaking. Um having a you in my corner is so important because to me, like my triggers are invitations. So like, I don't have the flexibility or the visibility or the, I don't know, like profound self-awareness sometimes that like, literally I catch my reaction to something and I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) But see, for me, I think that those triggers are just basically your brain telling you that there's something more to work on. Yeah. It's an invitation. Mm -hmm. It's an invitation. And I'm like, so now when I catch myself, I'm like, oh, I got to call Heather. Like this is, this is, this is something here. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not every time. It's not all the time, but it's, um, it, to me, I think having people like this in your corner is the equivalent of a, as a business owner, you should have a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You should have a lawyer. Like, and I know this makes me and others sound so crazy, but first of all, I'm not the only one that works with Heather. Y'all know who you are. (laughs) 
but like having you or having a you nearby, um, because I need someone to assess those things with, because now I am self-aware enough to go, okay, that doesn't work well in my life anymore, or that doesn't feel good anymore. Mm -hmm. Or, or sometimes I catch myself reacting in a new way. And then I start shaming and guilting myself on the back end. And I have to go, wait, Heather, did I, I would have never done that, but I did that this time. Was that wrong? Was that and then you're like, oh, you did that to protect yourself or, oh, no, that was actually great. You did something new mm-hmm. to prove to yourself that you do matter. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I love um, having a you or someone like you nearby um, because then sometimes you're like, no, that's normal. Sometimes you're like, oh, that we can reprocess that. Yeah. And your brain has a hard time telling what's the difference sometimes mm. because it, you know, people that have panic attacks will, you know, just have normal nervousness or just a little bit of anxiousness yeah. and they'll think, oh my gosh, I'm I'm going to, you know, I'm going back to where I started. I'm like, no, no, that's just totally normal. You're just a little anxious. Like you're allowed to be, there's just a huge thing coming up. Yeah. Like, but people, because your brain is so used to what it was, that mm. it's kind of like habit. And then it, I'm like, okay, well, but did it lead into a panic attack? And they're like, no, I said, okay, well, that's fine. We don't need, that's just like (laughs) the work works. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. I I do want to wrap with this part is you always tell me about EMDR and similar with hypnosis, any hypnotist I've seen is you always say that, um, your goal is like reprocess the memory and get it out of there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do very little, like, I mean, I'm, you know, licensed as a mental health professional. So I've done like CBT and all of that stuff. And I really, at this point, I do primarily EMDR. Mm-hmm. I do just, I don't really teach a ton. I mean, we do, and you guys don't really need the coping skills because you're master copers. <laughs> so, and generally God speaking, help us. <laughs> generally speaking, we just get right into the EMDR and get down to what that trauma is and get rid of it. Now we're not going to use me as an example because I'm a bad but can it be taken care of in one session? Not one, you do an entry, but can it be reprocessed, fixed, and you in a new behavior in one processing, like EMDR session? It, the Just the reprocessing piece. Yeah. Generally speaking, if once all the, the background stuff is done, you know, getting to know, finding out the negative cognition, finding out the memory, that's the more important piece. Like, Clinically speaking, and then the reprocessing piece, yes, absolutely, it can be done. Majority of the time, it's done in one session. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I remember the first reprocessing session I ever did with you. Um, you said, you're probably going to sleep heavy tonight. And you said, and be willing and open to sleep rest because mm-hmm. a lot's going to unpack after. And oh my God, I remember that whole, that night I was at home on the couch and my mind was like, like I was like, oh my God, that's why I did this and I did this. And then, oh, that makes so much sense as to why I chose this and why, oh, that's why I reacted like this. And it was just like all these, like all these little pieces were flying in. And I was like, oh, this is all of the reason why I have made the decisions I've made, the reasons I am who I am, the situations I've been in and not badly, not poorly, but just it gave a lot of reasoning as to a lot of things for me. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So it's it's reprocessing in the moment and in due time almost. Yes. Because over the next couple of days, I remember I was like, oh, my Your brain's God. just trying to figure out what happened. That became such a big part of who you were 
and we removed the negative cognition from that memory. So it's got to figure out like, what, what is this? Like, I don't believe that anymore. So mm. it's trying to figure out like a new normal, a new normal, mm-hmm. the truth. You identify the truth that mm-hmm. is you've told yourself and then you kind of realize that it's indeed not true. Like it's, it's not that it didn't happen, but it's a truth you told yourself. Yeah. And then you're soul, spirit, mind, whatever is like, wait, that that's not true than what is because I've done that dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, you're adjusting to a new expectation kind of yeah. thing for yourself. Yeah. I've, we're not changing the truth. No, we're just helping you remember that, that, you know, update that memory so that it reflects the real truth, mm. which mm. is you do matter. And in that moment, in that memory, You've realized it, which took the pain away from it. Yeah, I can repeat both of those memories and there's very little emotion tied to them. Mm -hmm. Very little. It's beautiful, actually. Mm -hmm. You guys, you've asked me so much about this. And so I wanted to bring Heather on firsthand Um, because you're not on social media and they're so used to. I mean, plus you're also a licensed clinical social worker. where can they figure out more about how to work with you, uh, email, website, whatever you use best as your point of entry for uh, potential clients? I'll have, I'll give you, I'll send you a link mm-hmm. Perfect. that you can get onto the client portal. Perfect. All right. So we will drop that in the show notes below so that you guys can check out Heather and her work. Um, like you may have heard in this episode, I can't speak highly enough about it and what it has done for me uh, understanding myself. And why I make the decisions I make. Fingers crossed. You don't think I'm crazy after this. If you do, judge your mama, not me. Um, <laughs> don't, and- you dare judge me. don't you dare judge me. <laughs> um, but the work I've done it goes um, to me. That's only half the job. Is if I don't share it with you. And this was like extremely vulnerable. Um, I even second thought myself inside this episode. Like, wow, that was a lot to share. But I know that sometimes profound things are meant to be shared so that one, you can put words to what you're experiencing. You may just be at the beginning of this. And two, that you know that there are endless modalities out there um, for you to heal these things. Because let me tell you something, your girl intends to be loved and in love and deserving of love and worthy of love. And first and foremost, in love, valued and matter, matter to myself uh, in real life. That's what I want for myself. And so I know this work is required. So thank you so much to Heather. Thank you for having me. And, uh, guys, this, the, the deep work, this is how we're going to be rich in real life. So until the next episode. Mm-hmm.